Let me tell you that today I want to talk to you about honor. I want to talk to you about the power of honor. And, I, and I, it is really just a flowing out of the next of the last series. Because how many enjoyed the, talking about the glory of God? Hallelujah. I'm telling you, it was a powerful revelation that it is, it is an atmosphere in which God exists. It is an atmosphere in which miracles happen. You know, I remember a long time ago hearing Rod Parsley say this, and it just stuck with me. He said, it, the added, the, uh, the, this atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles what he was saying is when you come expecting you come with a praise when you come expecting you know that this is like david i was glad when they said unto me let us go to the house of the lord you know that something is going to happen and you come with a praise on your lips you come ready to raise your hands you come ready to kneel you come ready to give him praise to give him glory and watch this and give him honor the first thing on your notes is this. The glory will be produced in a place of honor. The glory will be produced in a place of honor. How many of those know there'll be no glory if there is no honor? If you don't honor God, you're not going to give Him glory. They go hand in hand. But I'm going to tell you something, over the next few weeks, I'm going to preach about giving God glory. I'm going to preach about giving God honor. But I'm going to tell you something, you need to get this and get this deep in your spirit. You can't adequately give God honor if you're not willing to honor those that are in your life and over you in your life here in the natural. Am I preaching right? Can somebody say amen. We now live in a culture that is more and more and more and more moving away from honor. We have, we have a disrespectful generation. Is this microphone working? I said we had a disrespectful generation. But the, the Bible tells us in 2 John 8, 2 John 8, the epistle, he says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, that we may receive a full reward. How many knows we don't work to earn our salvation, but how many knows God said, give and it shall be given to you? Is that what he said? Press down good measure, shake it together. Did he say if you give, if you sow a seed, you'll reap a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold? But I'm going to tell you something. You can lose your harvest in a spirit of dishonor. Oh, it's getting quiet in here because you're taking this in. See, there is a reward that comes when you honor God. There is a reward that comes when you honor authority. There is a reward that comes when you honor those that God has put in your life to, to lead you. If that's the case, then you can lose that reward when you operate in a spirit of rebellion and dishonor. Do you understand that in 2 John 8, when John wrote this, John was in his 90s. He was an old man. In fact, he's the only one of the disciples that did not die of a martyr's death that was not murdered. He's the only one that died of natural causes. Now, they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him on many occasions, stuck him on an island of Patmos, uh, which is a volcanic island by himself, which is where he wrote the book of Revelation. I'm sort of glad they put him in isolation or we wouldn't have had the book of Revelation. It was in that isolation that he still continued to honor Jesus. 
No matter what happened, he did what he was supposed to do. See, God does not want you to receive a partial reward. John said he wants us to receive, we just read it, our full reward. I got news for you. I know that scripture says some reap 30, some reap 60, some reap 100. But I'm going to tell you, whether you think this is just me being cocky or not, I'm going to tell it like it is. I have never, ever accepted the 30 or the 60. Come on, are you hearing me? I know that the Bible says some get the 30, some get the 60, some get the 100. Some of y'all are excited and satisfied if you got a 30-time return. But why would I want to accept 30-fold when God said I got, an ac- I got access to 100-fold? That's the full reward. 30 is a partial reward. 60 is a partial reward. 100 is the full deal. If somebody says 100%, that's everything. You know, I know in our, in our language we talk about, I believe, I love you 110%. I love you 150%. I love you 1,000%. Here's the reality. That's, there's really no such a thing. What that means is spillover. Because a cup can only handle so much. If you're 110%, that means you're spilling over. And how many knows God wants us to live a life that our cup is running over? Are y'all hearing me, church? God wants us to live a life where our cup is running over, where our cup can't be running over if we're consistently sticking at 30 and 60% full. But if we're 100% full, anytime God blesses us with one more blessing, it just spills over and touches somebody else's life. Huh? Yeah, that's good preaching. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll pay you later. Now, watch this. I want to show you the power of honor. Somebody say honor. Remember, we talk about honor's reward. How I many of those that reward comes in many fold and almost many different ways? I'm going to show you this. Watch about, look at this. I want to show you something about Jesus. Remember, I've, I've taught, if I've taught you this one time, I've taught you this hundreds of times over the years. Everything that Jesus did during his ministry and his life here, he never did one thing. As God, who happened to be man, he did everything he did as man who happened to be God. In other words, every miracle that he performed, he performed it as an anointed man of God with his own anointing. Not not saying that he's the same as us and we're the same as him. Do we all understand? I'm not trying to put us on equal fitting with Jesus. I'm just trying to say that Jesus was intentional in what he said and what he'd done so that he could look at us and say, everything that I've done you can do also and greater can you do if I go to my Father. Notice even in that statement he's honoring his Father. Notice Jesus said things like, I don't say anything unless my father tells me to say it. I don't go anywhere unless my father tells me to go. Everything he did, he did to honor the one that, even though he's equal with the father, he taught us how to flow in honoring who it was perceived because he's known as the son of God, as his father, that he would honor him. Are y'all hearing me? He taught us honor. And the only thing he ever did as God who happened to be man was when he died on the cross for our sin. That was at the very end. He began that way, being born of a virgin, and he died sinless and spotless for, for, the, for the sins of the world. But everything that happened in between those 33 and a half years, he did it as a man who is 
fully 100% God so that when he when we read a story of a miracle we we will not we don't have the right to look at that and say well oh that was awesome but that was Jesus there's no way I could ever do that but Jesus said I did it all from from blinded eyes to the lame to raising the dead he said you can do all of that are y'all hearing me but now watch this about honor I'm going to show you why People, people get on a plane, like I've done this many times, if you ever go on a mission trip, you know what I'm talking about, you go on the mission field, you go to some of the poorest, uh, even, even, even wealthy places, uh, first world missions, but just get on a plane and go somewhere else outside of your comfort zone, and you will see miracles happen that you only prayed for and dreamed for happening in your church that you never see happening in your church, never see happening in your family or in your community, but yet you get off a plane, walk out, you ain't never pray for anybody in your life, and you just stretch your hands towards people scared to death, nervous, ain't never spoke public or not, and just say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And all of a sudden, people start coming for, they can't, their deaf ears have been unstopped. I, what, are y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? It happens all the time. And we, and we ask, why in the world does miracles happen all around the world? But yet they don't happen here. Well, let me show you. The Bible talks, you know, I mean, how many of those if Jesus, anybody could do a miracle, it should be Jesus. Because he's the miracle worker, amen? How many of you can't do a miracle without Jesus? Everything that we do, we have to do it in his name, right? But listen to this, one of the most remarkable passages in all of Scripture. Mark chapter 6, verse 5, talking about he's in this community, and there's so many sick people in this community. But he says in verse 5, talking about Jesus, now he, Jesus, could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. You know, well, well, you all praise God. He laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But wait a minute. When you compare that to the pattern of when Jesus would come to a city, Jesus would come to a city and the whole city would be healed. I mean, people didn't even have, people was touching a, a strand, a thread of a prayer shawl. Woman said, if I must touch the hem of his garment, he just walking through a city. She just dove and touched a, a thread hanging down from a prayer shawl and was healed of a blood disease. Are y'all hearing me? See, what is important for us to see is this. It says that he could do no mighty works. In other words, if, you, if that sounds like a, a confusing way of wording it, he couldn't do mighty works. The Amplified Bible says it this way, and it's, it'll blow your mind. He was not able to do mighty works in their midst. You know why the Amplified says those words? It's because the original Greek says those words. It literally says, He, Jesus, was not able to do mighty works. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, the one that stepped out on nothing and spoke to nothing and it became something. Come on, somebody. The one that was born of a virgin, the one that thousands and millions and billions of angels were fighting to keep from ever being born, was not able. Because remember, when he did a miracle, he did it as Jesus, the man, not as Jesus, God. Are y'all hearing me? He was restrained. Somebody say restrained. Let me tell you something. Honor releases, dishonor restrains. 
You might want to write that down because that ain't in your notes. Honor releases, empowers, dishonor restrains. It is very important for the church to understand what restrains Jesus. This is huge. Because if we understand, you've got to get this in your spirit, what restrained Jesus, then we must understand what will restrain us. Mm, it's getting quiet in here. Mm, now I can see why God changed my sermon series. Because it looks like some people needed their toes stepped on. Yeah. For some reason that makes it a, a little bit easier to swallow when you put that little... Jackson at the end. <laughs> what was it that restrained him? Now listen to this. It is found in Scripture. Mark 6. Mark 6 is where we're at, verse 5. Let's back up two verses. Just two verses from what we just read. It says this. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph? Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. In other words, he says, When I go to other places, what he's really trying to say is I am honored. But when I come among those that should know me the best. That is where I am dishonored. Because in their eyes, they can't look at me as the Messiah. They only can look at me as that's old Jesus. That's old, that's old Joseph's boy. He's a good old boy. I tell you, he's a good kid. He's a good kid. Never did anything wrong. I, I tell you what, probably the best kid I've ever known in my life. Uh, hands down, best kid. Never got mad, never got in a fight. Never. I tell you what, he was a good kid, but, but the Messiah? Come on. For, if he was the Messiah, how did we not know that for 30 years? He'd been living among, he's, how many knows Nazareth was, was, is, is a slum. Nazareth was one of the poorest places for anyone to live. Basically, Nazareth is basically like an alleyway. That's all it was, was the equivalent of an alleyway. You ever been in a town where everything looks pretty and all the buildings are pretty, and you take one turn? Come on, this happens to me and Sandy all the time. You just take one turn around that beautiful, uh, elegant building, and all of a sudden, hidden behind that elegant bu building, is dilapidated, run-down houses, and you're like, what in the world? What did, where did I, how did I get here? Has that ever happened? And all you do is take one turn. That's what Nazareth is. You took one turn away from the temple, one turn away from everything looking nice. There's where Jesus was born. That's why the Bible says another, another occasion how they dishonored him. It's not in my notes today, but it will be in the next few weeks. It says this about Jesus. When Jesus began his ministry, they said, wait a minute. Is this not Jesus of Nazareth? And then they said, can any good thing ever come out of Nazareth? Are y'all hearing me? They equated their honor with Jesus based on the environment in which he was raised. Am I preaching good? A prophet is not without honor. See, look, y'all honor me here as your pastor, right? Am I your pastor? If I ain't your pastor, and you, if you're first time visiting or you're praying about it, I may not be your pastor yet, but if you've been coming here for a while and you've joined the church, I'm your pastor, right? But I get around my, my family, 
I go to my family things. Not only am I not Pastor Larry, I'm, in the eyes of some of them, I'm still Larry in high school. I'm 50 years old. They're still bringing up things I did when I was 15. One of the first things they say to me, now it's, it's pretty much accepted now, but I, about the first 10 years of pastoring the church, I'd see them and this is what they'd say, what are you doing now? Because how many knows that's what you do, right? When you ain't seen it, what are you doing for a living now? Well, um, well I'm pastor of church, I plan the church. Well, I know you're a preacher, but what do you do for a living? <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, okay, I got that, but what's your real job? They say this to me, well, you know, I'd be like, I don't even want to try to explain this. These are people that are supposed to go to church, but these are the people that call their pastor their preacher. And, and I'm not saying if you, if, you, if you call me your preacher, I'm not saying you disrespect me, but most of the time people that say, that's my preacher, means that's the guy the dom- denomination sent to us until he moves on. Huh? Or that's the guy we pay, therefore, we, to preach to us on Sunday mornings, but we got this thing called the church. We'll manage it. You just go up there and preach up for us. Well, uh-huh. See, you can't give God glory in a spirit of dishonor. And remember, I've been teaching you that the glory is the atmosphere in which miracles happen. So when he would move into a city that would recognize him and honor him and praise God for the miracles that are happening, it would regenerate and create an environment that was conducive to miracles. But when he would move into a city that rejected him, dishonored him, and would not identify who he was and, and who and what they were supposed to, how they were supposed to be looking to him, it created a negative atmosphere, not a glory atmosphere, not an honor atmosphere, but a dishonor atmosphere. So you've got to understand what happened in Mark that we're just reading about. This came immediately after we see in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, of course, we have four different gospels. They share, they share the same stories, but sometimes they do them in, in different little ways. Watch this. In Luke chapter 4, this is what had just happened before we get to what we just read in Mark 6. Jesus had just began his ministry. So he came to Nazareth, verse 16, and it, 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 where he had been brought up. Notice that? He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, meaning he had done this many times throughout his life, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Notice no one stopped him, right? No one stopped him. Why? Because he was such a good young man. And a good boy, he had been raised in the temple. How many of us, if anybody's going to respect the temple and the Word of God, it's the, it's the Word of God. He is the Word of God. Okay, so there couldn't have been a better, we say it in the Catholic Church, altar boy, there couldn't have been a better person to read the, the Scriptures than the Scriptures. Y'all get that later. So he knew exactly. He was so respectful. And all the priests knew, oh, come here, there's that, that, gee, come up here, boy, come up here, ain't nobody, for some reason, ain't nobody reads it like you read it. I don't know what it is, but come on up here, boy, read this. And, and so nobody stopped him. And in fact, he didn't even have to get the book. The priest, put, look, look how God works. The priest had no idea what was about to happen. The priest, Jesus didn't ask for it. The Bible says the priest handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He said, I think you ought to read from this today. He didn't even know that God was setting him up. 
So he took the scroll of Isaiah, and the Bible said he placed it down, he unrolled it, and then when he opened the book, that's King James, what it means is he opened up the scroll, and he looked and looked and looked, and they're all looking at it, and the Bible said he was very intentional, and he found the place where it was written, where the prophet Isaiah had wrote about him. And he says this, quoting Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was a messianic proclamation. Then he closed the book at the messianic proclamation, gave it back to the attendant. Oh, some of y'all done heard me preach this a thousand times. Or something. And then here's the key thing. Everybody just reads right over. And then he sat down. There was only one place to sit on the platform. All the priests had their own seat. But there was one seat left open because of Malachi chapter 4. The last book of the Old Testament says that before the coming of the Lord, he will first send Elijah. That's why at Passover, at the cedar meal, and on the platform in the temple, they, they left a seat for Elijah. They still leave a seat at the table for, at the cedar meal because they don't accept Jesus as the Messiah because they believe before the Messiah can come, then uh, Elijah has to come. So when he said, he proclaimed, he read a messianic prophecy, he read the words that only the Messiah could say, and then he stopped at the, this is the acceptable year of the Lord, closed the book, handed it back to the priest, and sat down. Now, I want you to see what happens the moment he sat down. Because when he sat down, he was trying to tell them, I know when I walked in here, you knew me as Jesus, son of Joseph the carpenter. But I want you to know that when I walk out of here, you're going to see me for the reason of which I came. Why the angel came to my mama before my daddy ever touched my mama and told my mama that I was going to be conceived of a virgin. You're about to find out who I am. And all the eyes that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Not in honor, but in shock. Because nobody had ever sat in that seat. Are y'all hearing me? He began to say to them while he's sitting down, can you imagine? Today, this scripture that I just read is fulfilled in your hearing. Is that powerful? Now, you would think they've been, they've been preaching, prophesying, the Messiah was coming. That's all they were waiting on. And now he's saying, I'm here. You would think that all the priests and everybody would have bowed down and began to honor him. Verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And the first words that proceeded out of his, their mouth was what? Is this not Joseph's son? 
The very next, I got time to read it, but it goes straight from that in the book of Luke, and it begins to say that anger and hatred moved upon them immediately. They shoved him out of the temple, this is in your Bible, took him all the way to the edge of Mount Moriah, on the, on the one edge that is a cliff that if you fall off of it, you're dead. And they, the mob began to push Jesus. The boy, the man who had come all his life and read all his life, but because of one proclamation of a promotion, from, from Jesus, son of Joseph, to the Son of God and the Messiah, because that's why he came. They could not accept him. They could not accept that that's who he was. And the Bible said they desired to push him off the cliff and kill him on the very first day of his ministry. But watch this. You can't kill Jesus before it's time for him to die. Because man never killed Jesus. You can't kill God. When Jesus died on the cross, it's because he chose to die. The Bible said, as they pushed him to the edge of the cliff. Read your Bible, because some of y'all don't read your Bible. Read your Bible. Because some of y'all, y'all hear me tell this kind of story. You're like, is that in the Bible? Is that really in the Bible? Read your Bible. I don't preach it unless it's in the Bible. He's on the edge of the cliff, and the Bible says, while in their rage and dishonor, desiring to kill him, the Bible said, he walked through the crowd, and they did not even see him. See, it was because of familiarity. I can't say that word, but being familiar. That will breed something. That's the next thing on your your totes. The next thing on your notes. I can't talk today. Many times a culture of familiarity will breed a culture of dishonor. How many of those, a lot of times you can't even honor your spouse because you see everything about them and because they're not perfect it disqualifies you to be able to honor them because you're familiar with them mm-hmm. see i could care less if you call me pastor larry or not but you know why people call me pastor instead of larry it's because it's an honor it's not honoring that i'm greater than you it's honoring the office of which I am in your life, which means shepherd. I'm acknowledging that you're my shepherd. Are you hearing me? My pastor is not a pastor anymore. He's a world-traveling missionary. But he's my pastor. I can't, it would be easy for me to call him Frankie. Because he's not a pastor anymore, in the sense of in his church. But he's my pastor. So I cannot call him Frankie. Be- why? Be- not because he would, he would be upset with me. He'd be fine with it. Do you know what he calls me? He'll call me Larry. He'll either call me pastor or he'll call me son. Are you hearing me? I- I'll be honest with you. I- other than maybe standing in the pulpit and addressing and calling my name and honoring me at his church or something like that, I don't have any member of him ever just saying, hey, Larry. Because even though I'm underneath him, He still recognizes and honors the position that I am to you and to the body of Christ. Are you hearing me? You know, like I said, I don't demand that. I could care less if you meet me at the back door and say, love you, Larry. I say, I love you too, man. Have a great day. It ain't going to freak me out if you call me Larry because that's my name. Are you hearing me? But you have to be careful to understand 
That when God has put people in authority in your life, he has put them there, especially if their integrity and character has gone before them and you know that their heart is pure for you. They, he has put them there to, to, to pour into your life. Therefore, there is a reward when you honor that position. Now, in the, in the few weeks, I'll talk about the abuse of this, that pastors have taken it too far. I don't need you to wipe my sweat. I don't need you to, to you know, to take care of my every little moment. I can carry my own water bottle. I can do all this kind of stuff. That kind of stuff makes me sick. I'm not trying to be critical of any particular pastor, but my God, if you, if you can't be touched by the people, if you can't shake hands with the people, if you can't get around the people, if you're afraid to show up at a work day, if you're afraid to go out and hand out flyers just like everybody else, then I wonder who you are are what are you really are you are you a ceo of a of an organization that's that's patting your pocket or are you a shepherd shepherds smell like sheep i thought y'all shot better at that one if your shepherd don't smell like sheep you need to find another shepherd if he got to bring an entourage to bring him in and an entourage to take him out, and the only one that ever gets and touches his $1,000 suit is his entourage, you need to probably find another shepherd. Be careful. Am I preaching good? I'm telling Sunday mornings at Solid Rock Church, you're going to get the word. We ain't going to patty cake and give you butterflies in your belly to make you feel all sweet and gummy about yourself. I ain't serving gummy bears today, y'all. I'm serving T-bone, baby. And if you're a brand new believer and you ain't ready to eat solid food yet, I got a grinder. I'll grind it up and milkify it for you. Give you some, some T-bone milk. Ugh. Although I would like to try that. If it, if it tastes like T-bone, a good T-bone, I'll drink it. So, now watch this. Jesus said this. I'm restrained. Because I come right out of this, and that same spirit that was in, that, in Nazareth followed me to where I'm at now. And they're still looking at me the way it was before I read the, the book of Isaiah. So when Jesus has not come the way they expect him to come, they dishonor him. Mm-hmm. See, they thought the Messiah was going to come with a crown on his head and a scepter in his hand and a sword in the other hand and kill all the Romans. But when he came... In the heart of love, for God so loved the world, they couldn't understand it. See the word honor. Before we go any further in this series, you need to understand what honor is. The Greek word for honor is interesting. It's the word timi. T-E-E-M-E-E, timi. And it means to value. It means to cause to be precious. But here's something else it means. It means to be weighty. Weighty, like weight heavy weight weighty in fact it implies to be weighty as in gold are y'all hearing me another definition of honor is to appreciate to esteem favorable regard respect but i want to key on that word weighty it means and in fact the bible tells us that the presence of god the word that's also used for the presence of god is also interpreted as the weightiness of god so when God, in His glory, comes into the place, have you ever just felt God on you? Am I the only one? You ever just felt God? It manifests in your way. You just couldn't deny that God's presence was in the house. If you're there, say amen. You ought to, you ought to say amen, because you, if you didn't feel it today, then something's wrong with your feeler. 
because he was in here today. And you just, it just sort of feels like sometimes it's just a weightiness on you. That's the glory of the Lord. And God says that, that we are to honor him with so much that it just feels like there's a weightiness and a heaviness in the place of that honor. Many times for me, when I study scripture, when I'm trying to understand the word, the best way I try to make it simple for my mind to understand something is to flip it around and, and, and learn what it's not. Because a lot of times if I can learn what it's not saying, it's easier for me to learn what it's saying. So when I read scripture sometimes, what is that saying? I'll try to twist the words a little bit in my mind and try to re-say it in my mind opposite of the way it's written and it helps me. Oh, okay. So opposite of the way I'm thinking is what it's really saying. I, that might not work for you, but it does work for me. So here's the simplicity of what I'm trying to say. This. The antonym of honor is simply dishonor. To dis. How many of those dis is where we get disrespectful? Dis is when you come against. Honor and dishonor means I've come against. I'm actively working to dishonor you, to stop honoring you. How many of us, when you respect someone, you know what that means. When you disrespect someone, means you are actively working with every fiber of your being to not respect them. The next thing you notice is this. And this is very important where I'm going. See, they didn't respect him. They called him common. They called him ordinary. We do not have a right to call someone ordinary when God has called them extraordinary. We do not have a right to call someone ordinary from Nazareth. Isn't that Joseph's boy when God in the book of Isaiah just said he is the anointed one and his anointing? Let me go back. This, I probably won't preach this in second service, but I just feel like I'm in a vein here for some reason. Somebody needs to hear this. Let me go back one more time. Because you never, ever, ever hear me preaching about that I demand to be called pastor. That's not what this is about. That's not what, this sermon is not about honoring me. I, but I'm just trying to give you an example. There's a difference between somebody just saying, hey, Larry, how you been? I'm doing good. And, and then this, because I've had people tell me this. Well, listen, with all due respect, I know everybody calls you pastor. I just can't do that. This is, what, this is what a couple of different people have told me over the years. Because, you know, I know you're a great preacher, but to me, you'll always be Larry. So I just want you, I don't mean, this is what they'll say, I don't mean no disrespect for you, but I can't call you Pat. These are people that attend the church. Not now, but did attend the church. Can you figure, is it shocking that they no longer attend here? I didn't run them off. But they said, but I, I just, I can't, that's just not the way I am. I, I feel comfortable just calling you Larry. You know what I said? That's fine with me. No problem. That's my name. But you know what? It wasn't long after that they couldn't stay in the church. Because when they'd hear me preach something, it would offend them. Because they didn't, and they couldn't take it with a teachable spirit, because they couldn't look at me as their pastor. They couldn't look at me as a spiritual leader that God has put in their life to pour into their life with, with a sword in my hand, not to hurt you, but at times it's going to cut you. Do you want a pastor that's going to tell you the truth? So that's what we're going to do. And, and, and I don't mean to do that disrespectfully. I do it respectfully. But when you can't honor your pastor or your team leader, or let's make it personal, your boss. You shot me down by respecting your pastor, but you're like, you don't know my boss. 
Huh? But wait a minute. I think you might be the reason God changed my sermon series. Because you need to hear what the Word of God says. Another example of honor and dishonor, and I've got to go quickly, is found in Luke chapter 5. I'm setting the foundation today for the coming weeks. Jesus has now begun his ministry right after Luke 4. He's teaching. He's contracting large crowds. And the Bible says he is teaching in a large house. Some of you know this story. Some of you may not know this story. The Bible says it was so crowded that the doors were filled with people and no one could get in the doors of this little hut, of this little house. So there was a man who was sick who could not walk, and he was on a bed. Y'all know where I'm going. Can I get an amen? And his friends said they honored him. They could not see him, but they could hear the people, or they could hear him. At the very least, they had heard of the miracles that had already happened. They believed that what he said in Luke, where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the sick, to open blind eyes. They believed that, and they honored him as that. So they went to the door, holding this man on his cot. And they said, we need to get him in. Because the man that is going to heal this man is in the center of this house. You can't go in here. There's too many people in here. In fact, you know, there's dignitaries in there. I'm going to show you just a minute. The priests and the scribes and the Pharisees are in there. They're circling around him. You are not the kind that needs to be in there. They disrespected them. Let me show you what I'm, I'm going to show you if you don't believe me this. But they looked at him and they said, I don't care what they say. I know that my only hope for my friend is in that room. It's not the priest and the scribes and the Pharisees, because I see them all the time. It's the one that's in the center of that room. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, watch this. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. This is in the same scenario. When he had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Take it off the screen. Take it off the screen. Because I want everybody to look at me. Because this is key. Remember, while he was teaching, listen to this, there were Pharisees, teachers of the law sitting by, who had come from many cities, Galilee, Judea, and even the headquarters, Jerusalem. He's not talking about the people in general. The next verse says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Heal who? Heal the Pharisees. Meaning there was sick Pharisees. Meaning there were sick Sadducees. They're called Sadducee. Come on. They needed some happiness. I've been telling that joke for 25 years plus. But watch this. In other words, there was power there to heal the Pharisees, the priests, and the teachers. But the Bible says not one of them were healed. Why were none of them healed? Mm. It wasn't until verse 18 that we read about them lowering the man down through the roof that we're talking about. But before the man was ever lowered down from the roof, God wanted to heal everyone in that room. Not just that man. When they lowered him down, and and can you imagine Jesus is teaching, all of a sudden the thatch roof is torn apart and sunlight starts coming through the top. And they look up and stand on the roof 
is these guys that nobody knows because they're just commoners. And they've got a cot on some ropes. And the Bible said they start lowering this man on a cot on ropes from the roof right down in the middle of a crowd in front of Jesus. Is that awesome? Jesus didn't say, whoa, wait a minute, guys. That's too disrespectful. I haven't finished my sermon yet. How many knows Jesus always wants you to press through when you need a miracle? And he stopped right in front of him. And I'll give you the abbreviated version. After looking at him, he says this, these powerful words. Man, I like how he says it in the King James. Man, comma. Be like, dude, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, now listen to what he said. Your sins have forgiven you. And the Bible says he jumped up off of that bed and was healed. Are y'all hearing me? Now, listen to this. Here's why the Pharisees were not healed, but yet a man lowered down from the roof was healed instantly. The Pharisees didn't even speak with their mouth. Watch this. Let me talk about the power of rebellion and the power of dishonor. It doesn't even have to come out of your mouth. How many of those God can read your mind? You can say one thing with your mouth, but believe another thing inside. Watch what he says. The Bible says, and the scribes and the Pharisees looked at that. And began to reason in their mind, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? What that means is they have not correctly identified him who he is. Because the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So how many knows the word of God came flesh and dwelt among us? Jesus Christ is not a God. He is God. Are you hearing me, church? He, he said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. For me and the Father are one. Is this good preaching? But Jesus knew their thoughts of dishonor. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins forgiven you, or rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say unto you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, departed into his own house, glorifying God. Watch verse 26. And they were all amazed and glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Come on, somebody. And the Word of God is awesome, ain't it? Woo, we have seen some strange things today. Not stranger things, strange things. Only a few will get that. This world is not upside down. This world is, uh, is right side up. Now, watch this. They were all amazed and glorified God. Many of them glorified the God in the mindset of the perception of God, many of them glorified Jesus. But the reality is this, whether they believed he was God or not, they could not deny what they saw. And they went home. Well, I can tell you one thing. That was strange because I've never seen nothing like that happen. Are y'all with me, church? I ain't got time to read the scripture, but another example of honor that I want to give you in Jesus' life was when Jesus had entered a place called Capernaum. And, and the Bible says a centurion man 
A soldier came to him and began to plead with him, saying, Lord, my servant is, is lying home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now watch the difference between the scribes and the Pharisees dishonoring in their heart and the words of a centurion man who is not even a believer, who is not even a Jew. But he understands honor. He understands the power of honor. Watch what he says. The centurion answered and said to him, because Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. The soldiers answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come up under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Watch what he says. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, listen to what he said. He marveled and said to the Jewish followers, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Not even among the Jews. He's saying of a Roman centurion, because he understands honor, understands how faith works. I say unto you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, we preach the kingdom here, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out of this little K kingdom into, into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen to verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed in that same hour. Are y'all hearing me, church? God healed his servant because he understood honor. Hmm. See, the honor that the centurion gave Jesus, Jesus replied, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. The next thing on your notes is this. We dishonor God. Listen to this. Get this in your spirit. Pay attention to me. We dishonor God when we dishonor who he sends to us. See, just because you don't like the person that he sent to you doesn't mean you get the right to dishonor them. Mm. I'm going to close with this quickly. Matthew 10 says this, verse 40. He said, he who receives or honors you receives or honors me. He who honors you honors me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives or honors a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives her honors, a righteous man, in the name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water, in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he will be by no means lose his reward. Remember, honor, reward. In other words, what he's saying right here is, if you don't do these things, you will lose your reward. How many of those, you might not lose your salvation, but you can lose your reward. Here's the reality. The Bible says we'll stand before God, and we will give an account for even every idle word that proceedeth out of our mouth. Are you hearing me? Jesus is telling us in this, in this story, in this parable, this teaching, that there's three categories of people that we will meet, and I will close with this, in our life. There are the prophet. He said, if you receive a prophet. And those are in, that, that is symbolic of anyone who is above you or over you in any kind of authority. There, are the, there is the righteous man. Is the equivalent of those who are on your level or your peers. 
How many knows you're supposed to honor those that are equal with you? Not just those that are over you. Because all, if all the person that you honor is the ones that are over you and you don't honor the people that are equal with you, then it's a fake honor. It's an honor out of obligation. And then the most important one is the third one. He talked about the little ones. Give him a cup of water. Notice what he said. Give him a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, in the name of a prophet. You're giving it to the baby. Those are symbolic of those who have God has entrusted under our authority. The centurion came on behalf of someone he was over. But he loved him and honored him enough to go to the man of God on behalf of someone that is beneath him. Not trying to impress by going to him for someone that was above him. If you can't honor those that you lead, they will never honor you. The Bible, somebody said the Bible, says all authority, and you ain't going to like this, is of God. Doesn't mean it's, they're doing the right thing. Doesn't mean that they are doing God's will. But authority, why the Bible says all authorities of God? It is because authority is a structure system that is based in the kingdom. Americans have a huge problem with authority. One of the worst in the world. Why? Because we began as a country... Not thankfully that we did, out of rebellion against authority. The foundation of our nation is telling somebody else, saying, I know you're the king, but guess what? You ain't going to tell me who to worship. All right? But yet, even though we were founded that way, and thank God that we were, because it wouldn't be a country, but please understand this. If we're not careful, even things that were appropriate to be done can develop into a culture, whether we realize it or not, that becomes damaging. This is what you hear. This is what you hear a lot of people say. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. That's one thing that's way. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm my own person. Hmm? We somehow feel like it makes it better if we do this. And then we do a windmill and it's all good. So what's this? I gotta be careful with some of the thoughts going through my head right now. I gotta make sure I got I gotta drink take a drink here, and make sure it's God, not me. All authorities of God. Okay, I'll wait, Lord. See, Americans, we have a huge problem with authority because we are a people trying to understand authority or a kingdom because in a democratic mindset. You know, it's, it's even false that people think that we're a democracy. You realize we're not a democracy. Do you realize that America is not a democracy? We are a democratic republic. It's totally different. A democratic republic means we elect, we democratically elect representatives to go to Washington and vote on laws on our behalf. A democracy is the majority win. 
How many of us, we've had a few presidential elections in our life where the, the, the uh, popular vote was for one candidate, but the electoral vote was for another candidate, and you got people getting mad on both sides in both different times that that happened. But you know what? That's the way they made our government. Whether you like it or not, we're not a democracy. You better be thankful that we're not a democracy because if we were a democracy based, based completely just on numbers, then it would just take a few people, just a few cities in America to be deciding for everybody in the whole entire country. So this gives us a vote. This gives us an opportunity. I'm not trying to be political here. But I'm just trying to tell you this right now. That everything, we, when we look at politics, when we look at our, our world that we live in, we filter it through a mindset of a democracy. But God said we do not live in a democracy. We live and serve a kingdom. And the last thing on your notes is this. Jesus is not an elected official. He is a king. Kings are not elected. Kings are not elected. They are born. They are appointed. Come on, are you hearing me? They are coronated. Church, are you alive? I want to tell you something. You need to be careful with what you say. You need to be careful what you post. You need to even be careful what you click on a share button and share. Because here's the reality. When it's all said and done, we're not going to stand before God and God's not going to judge us based on who we voted for. He's not going to judge us based on what political assuasion we were. He's not going to, he's not going to judge us and, and bring up who our favorite candidate was and who we disliked the most. He's going to ask us, did we honor? Did we honor? Whoever your mayor is, whoever your governor is, whoever your senator is, whoever your president is, you may not like them. You may dislike them personally as a person, and you may not even want to utter their name. But we're talking about the office. Because in a few years, whether it be if you don't like the guy that's in there now, some don't think he's going to make it through, through this term. Whether he doesn't make it through this term or this term ends. You got two more years of him, maybe. You might have four more. Some of y'all just had a heart attack. But here's the reality. I'm telling you, but the bottom line is, worst case scenario for you, if you can't stand him, you got him for six more years, and guess what? He's gone. The next guy, all he can have is eight years, right? Or lady, right? Eight years. Are you following me? But what I'm finding is we have a country now where we, we are losing friends, not just in this election. I'm talking about the last president and the president before then, not just now. I've seen it happen over generations where people are burning bridges, burning friends, burning their reputations in the kingdom for something that is not going to matter when we stand before God. Is this microphone working? I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not telling you who to love. I'm not telling you. That ain't got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you as a believer. I am your shepherd, and you are the sheep that I have been called to shepherd. So I'm going to tell you something. We need to understand how to honor. And, and to understand, dishonor doesn't breed miracles. It restrains Jesus. You know, you go to another country, you get off the plane, they ain't worried about the junk that we're worried about. They see a man of God coming from America, and they honor that man of God, and whatever that man is preaching, they receive it, and miracles happen. I've been on planes before, and I've sat on planes before, on runways, and I have swept, and I've said these words. 
I promise you. I remember one in particular. I was sitting on a plane. I was crying. And I said these words. If it were not for my wife and my kids, I wouldn't go home. I would stay here. Because I know, I hate to say this, this was years ago, I said, because when I get back to my church on Sunday, all the things that I've experienced this week will not happen in my church. Is that bad for me to say that? Yeah. But here's the reality. I knew that the people on that Sunday was not going to honor the presence of God the way I had experienced that kind of honor that week. Are you hearing me? And I said to myself, I love my church, but if it wasn't for my wife and kids, I would not go home. Because I'm seeing things that I read about in the Bible here, I don't see them in my church. We're so worried that Pastor Larry's gone six minutes over and not honored the moment that this is Sunday. This is the one day of the week that your pastor gets to equip you for the ministry. But that matters more to you right now and your next thing that you had lined up today than six minutes of hearing your pastor talk plain to you this morning. We have put honor on things in America. I better hush. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about this. This has nothing to do with, I'm talking about even our family. I'm going so that you won't think that I, you think you knew what I was about to say. Let me tell you what I was about to say. I was going to say we have put more honor on things of the family, doing things with the family on Sunday than we have on the Lord's Day coming to church. And we wonder why our kids don't want to go to church. Because we, they have not seen you honor that day. They need to see you honor that day. If your kids ask, I heard, I heard a preacher say this this week. I can't remember who it was on a podcast. He said, if your kids come to you on a Sunday morning and ask you the question, Mama, Daddy, are we going to church Sunday? Are we going to church tomorrow? If they ask you that question, then that should be a slap in your face that you have not honored the Lord's day. Your kids should never ask you, are we going to church Sunday? They should, if anything, they will ask the question, Daddy, do we have to go to church Sunday? Because they know you honor that day. You know, if you do that, no matter how rebellious they get, when they become older, I promise you when they have kids, if they don't do it before then, especially when they have kids, they will look at their kids and they will say, you know what, we need to get in church. My mom and dad made sure I was in church and I need to make sure my kid's in church. Amen, give them praise, give them praise.